Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So here we've been in this study of this letter that Paul wrote to a church at Corinth that was dealing with a lot of stuff. And this is the concluding chapter. And so when I was thinking about what do I call this sermon, I went with to conclude. I was really digging deep that day, y'all. So here we are in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And if you're just to take some time and just kind of read like a sweep through the 16th chapter, it would be like, how many of you uh, eat at Luby's? Can I see your hands? Nobody's raising their hands. And I know that's not true. You know how it works when you go to Luby's. You kind of get your tray, you drop it down, and you slide the tray, and you just point at something, and you go, I would like that. By the way, anytime I ever go to Luby's, you know that I'm getting the fish that's in the shape of the square. And you got to add the tartar sauce with it just because, right? Luby's, that's actually the way that this 16th chapter is going to be. Uh, I like to call it as his moment where Paul is giving the parting shots because he's wrapping it up. It, it reminds me of almost like uh, me and Wendy every morning with the girls when we're trying to get them out the door for school. There is a checklist of things that before they go, we just gotta do. Do you have your bag ready? Yes. Is your homework in your bag? Yes. Do you have your lunch? Yes. Did you put your ice pack in your lunch? Yes. Do you have your jacket? Yes. Do you have your phones with you? Yes. How many parents know what I'm talking about here? We go through this whole thing, right? And then a lot of times we get out and then the phone will go off and be like, I forgot something, right? It's just kind of the way it works. This is the way that Paul actually structures 1 Corinthians chapter 16. There's just a lot he wants to say in the final moments of what he's writing to them. So let's just jump in and start in chapter 16, verse one. Here's what he says. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. All right, so there's your start for chapter 16. Notice what he's talking about. He's talking about giving. Kind of interesting, because in chapter 15, it's considered to be one of the most articulate defenses of the bodily resurrection of Jesus that we have in Christian history. Right there in chapter 15, verses three through eight. Here, he shifts from the resurrection of Jesus to giving. That's kind of interesting. I mean, why would you do that? And I think the answer is, in light of everything that God has done for you, in his grace and kindness, and in his generosity, that you should show others the same kind of grace and kindness and generosity. I mean, after all, where would you be without that from God to you? That's why I think he has the shift. And so here's parting shot, and I'm gonna call them the parting shots today. Here's parting shot number one. Paul is telling them to put aside some money weekly for an offering, but it's in response to a need. And what is that need? Mentioned, he mentioned that it was going to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Here's what was going on. There was a famine that was happening in Jerusalem and they had caught wind of it. And a lot of the Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem because of the famine were dying. 
And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, we've got to help, in Greece, by the way, and says, we've got to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now that gives you an amazing picture of what a church can look like. We're well more than Woodridge. The church is global. And so what Paul says is we've got to help our brothers and sisters out. Something to, to point out here. Think about some of the things that Paul says. Who should be giving? He tells you in verse two, all of us. All of us should be giving. He says, each of you is to set something aside. Just put it over, right? Uh, here's the thing to keep in mind for the people in Corinth. Not everybody there was rich. I mean, as you were reading this letter over the last number of weeks that we've been studying what he wrote to them, there was even divisions in the church because you had really rich people and you had really poor people and the rich folk weren't treating the poor folk very well. They were coming in early. They were eating all the food while the, frankly, the poor folk, they were having to work in the fields. And then they would come in and say, hey, you have a place here. It's just, we already ate all of the food and drank all the wine, but come on in. And then it was time for the Lord's Supper, a time of unity in the church. And they're like, sure, y'all can be over there and we'll be over here. Is that the way a church is supposed to work? And the answer is no. And that's why Paul gave the correction to them. Notice what he says. Who should be giving? And the answer is, in light, in light of that monetary diversity in the church, he goes, everybody put a little something aside. Our brothers and sisters are struggling and we need to help them out. Uh, J.D. Greer said this. He's, he says, you know, giving is a test of faith. And it is. Giving is a test of faith and commitment for every Christian. It's, it's not about the amount. It's about the place Jesus holds in your heart. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, one moment. I remember being in church. This was when I was in college. And just as a heads up, when you're in college, you're typically not rich, right? I wasn't either. So I'm sitting there in college station. I'm sitting with a friend of mine. And as we were in church and the pastor says, look, there's this need that's become evident and we're gonna take up a special collection today. And it's going, every penny is gonna be going to take care of this need. And I remember my friend sitting next to me and he goes, you know what? I don't have a lot. Uh, but I think I'm going to take the money that I was going to be using for Taco Bell. No, he said that, for Taco Bell, and I'm gonna give it so that we can help these families out. I, I'm not gonna lie, friends, I was totally blown away. I really was, because that was all his lunch money, so I'm just gonna give it. Now, by the way, back then, tacos cost about 39 cents a piece, okay? Yes. But again, college students, you're poor. I'm gonna take, take this money that I meant for lunch. I'm just gonna go eat a sandwich at home and I'm gonna give my Taco Bell money so that the Lord can use it to help these families out. And he put it in there. And I said, you know, you've won doubly today. You have, because you've been generous and I know that that pleases God. And second, you're not eating Taco Bell. And I know that your stomach <laughs> is gonna be pleased also. <laughs> doubly blessed, my friend. All right, you get the idea. So who gives? Paul says, hey, Set a little something aside. When do we give? He says consistently. He pointed out, we give on the first day of the week. That's what Paul said. So give consistently. How much do we give? Oh man, now this, see, this is up for a good debate. Um, there's nothing in the New Testament that actually answers that. There's not. The idea of a tithe, we find that in the Old Testament for sure. For example, in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says that 10% be given to the Lord. That's actually where it comes from. All, uh, that is of all of one's assets. And what were they used for? They were used for one, they supported the priests 
who had given their lives to the ministry, well, they've got to eat as well, but their whole life is given to them, and so we're going to take care of them. Second, it was for the upkeep, according to Numbers 18, it was to the upkeep of the temple, the actual building that they worshiped in. It was for the upkeep of the temple, according to Numbers 18. In Deuteronomy 14, it was commanded that every third year, a tithe be given, taken off of your total assets, and given to the temple every third year. Why did they do it? That money always went to the poor. So it was for the care of the priests, it was for the care of the house of worship, and it was for the taking care of the poor every third year. That's where we get this from. However, did you notice something that Paul says here? There's no amount that's mentioned. It's not there. If you wanna see incredible moments of generosity from the church though, in the early church, you have plenty of examples and I'll, I'll just give you one. One example is found in Acts chapter two where there were people that were in tremendous need and you literally saw members of the church saying, I'm gonna go sell my property so that we can take care of this need. Where did that come from? It didn't come from compulsion. It's not like somebody went to their house and said, hey, you haven't sold your land yet. It wasn't like that. Instead, they said, we're willing to do this for the care of these others. It came from a place of grace and it came from a place of mercy and a place of generosity. In other words, it sounds a lot like how Christ takes care of us from a place of grace and mercy and generosity. So this is his parting shot number one. Be generous like Jesus and be, be kind to others. See where they're at and help in the way that you can. He doesn't mention an amount, but he does mention when, and he mentions why. There's one. Here's parting shot number two. We need to take a lesson from Paul in chapter 16 about the way he looks at the future, and I'm gonna ask a question, and this is being recorded, and so don't lie. How many of you like to know in advance everything about your life, like what God is wanting from you? Can I see your hands? You'd like to know now what the future for you looks like. And I'm looking at a lot of liars this morning. <laughs> come on, how many of you would like to know today, what's my life gonna look like in 15 years? How many, come on, can I see it? Okay, here's the reason that I bring that up. Thank you, honest people. Here's the reason that I bring that up. If you look at verses five through nine, we actually see a little bit about the way that Paul works in his faith. Here's what he says. He says, after I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you for I'll be going through Macedonia. In other words, I can make it there. Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Did you pay attention to what he actually said there? Notice some of the verbiage. I'd like to come your way. I'd like to spend the winter there. But I might end up somewhere else. Did you catch that? Here's the point. Here's the point. It's better to say wherever you want me to be and whenever you want me to be than I need to know now everything that you are thinking, God, for me. Let's be like Paul. By the way, God doesn't usually work that way anyway. Not usually. Rarely in scripture do you see God literally map every detail out for people and say, now that I've mapped it out for you, get on with it. Instead, he says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. You remember, you remember Abram when he was called out of the wilderness in Genesis chapter 12? God speaks to him and this was what he said. 
Go to a place I will show you. This is like Abram walking out, knowing that he's leaving everything behind. His job, everything. He's leaving it behind. And when he walks out his front door, just kind of picture this with me. He's like, All right, am I going left or right? Go to a place I will show you. You see these examples throughout scripture and you see Paul here saying, man, the Lord has opened up a tremendous door of ministry here. I'd love to come see you. And if I can, I will. What was he doing? He was tapping in literally day by day. Where do you want me to be? And it might change. And that's okay. It might change for me. I, I was thinking about this this week. I remember some, some years ago um, when we were in North Carolina and I pastored on the east side of Raleigh, but I was a professor at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest. So if there was no traffic in Raleigh, it was gonna take me at least 45 minutes to get home. If there was traffic in Raleigh, uh, I was at least gonna be an hour. Uh, Mondays were particularly long days uh, because I would teach three three-hour blocks at the seminary on Monday. So nine hours guaranteed in the class. The last one didn't usually end until about 10, uh, around 9.30 at night, and then I had to drive home. Right, And I can take you to the spot. I'm out on 540, which is a road, but I'm out on 540, uh, you know, just trying to get back home so I can eat a very late dinner with the dog. And there's a specific, he was always good for it, y'all. There was a specific spot on 540, though, that I will never forget it. It was like something that just came to me, you won't be here much longer. You won't be here much longer. Friends, I wasn't unhappy. The church was going well. The professorship at the seminary was going really well. I had absolutely no reason to leave whatsoever because typically when things are clicking and good, you stay. But that was it. And I remember coming into the house, everybody was asleep except the dog. The dog walks out. I'm sitting in the kitchen getting ready for making my dinner, late night dinner. And Wendy walks out and I just remember saying, I don't know what this is, but we're not gonna be here long. And all she can say is, where are we going? Was a job offered to you? I was like, I don't even know what it means. I don't even know what it means. I can't answer that for you today. About a year later, it was here. You won't be here long. That was all that there was to it. I, I wanna speak something to this. How does God lead us? And I wanna borrow some things from other people that I think will help you this morning. And this is the first, and I encourage you to take some notes. How does God lead us? Here's the first. He leads us first by his word. He leads us first by his word. I remember some years ago, a man coming and talking to me, his marriage was struggling, and he sat down, and after him kind of pouring out what was going on in his marriage, uh, I said, I don't see any biblical reason for you to divorce your wife. Those are hard conversations. But notice, what was, I don't see any biblical reason for you to divorce your wife. I just don't. And this was his response to me. He said, so basically what I'm hearing is, uh, you want me to stay in my loveless marriage and you want me to be unhappy the rest of my life. That was what he said. And I was like, no, that's actually not what I said. That isn't what I said. Instead, consider this, Proverbs 3, 3, and 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and in the sight of men. Have you done that for your wife? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. He said to them, but I said to him, are you and your wife loving one another and building each other up? That's the word of God. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Are you and your wife literally living this with each other? Compassion, kindness. You make mistakes. Are you forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Is that the way that you and your wife live together? Because here's the thing. I'm gonna guess this. You don't like her much right now. I'm gonna guess this. She went in the room. I'm gonna guess this. You don't like her and she doesn't like you. But living this, love can restore the like. Go to the word first. Embody it. It will change you. It will change you. It will change the way that she sees you. It will change the way that you see her. It will change everything. That's just one example, but it's an important one, my friends. The first way that God speaks to you is in his word. Be in it. Here's the second way. He speaks to you through his people. He speaks to you through his people. Did you pay attention to this earlier in 1 Corinthians 12? God gave guidance through the members of the church to one another. He's gifted them with discernment, it it points out, and wise counsel. Or even as Proverbs says, in the multitude of counselors, Proverbs 15, 22, there is wisdom. Surround yourself with wise people and listen. Be quiet and soak it up. Surround yourself with it. See, in our church, I consult our staff. I consult our committees. I consult people outside of our church regarding important decisions. The reason, they might see things that I don't see and keep me from making unnecessary mistakes. And I shut my mouth and I listen to them. People that are godly and wise, I will listen. Surround yourself with those folks. God speaks through his church. Here's the third. He speaks to you. He speaks to you. I already gave you the one example before on 540. It was like, you're not gonna be here much longer. But I'll give you another example. Uh, William Lane, uh, excuse me. Uh, there was this, 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 this uh, word that came to Elijah. You might remember it. He's had this tremendous victory against the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel's after him. And he's like, ah, this is crazy. I mean, just had the win. And then he goes into this depressed state, right? And all of a sudden around him, you see chaotic weather and everything. But there's this one part in 1 Kings 19. It says, and then the Lord spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He will speak to you. He will speak. The question is, is are we listening? Another way that God communicates with us is our circumstances. Just what's going on. One of the top Christian apologists in the world, that, in, that means a defender of the Christian faith, is a guy named William Lane Craig. Uh, the, the, the Lord has blessed his ministry tremendously. He has led people to the Lord over the world. He wanted to be, he wanted to be an athlete. If you just kind of read his testimony, he wanted to be an athlete. He's got two PhDs. He's a little smart. The problem is, He actually has a degenerative disease, and if you look at his hands, his hands look like this. Sports wasn't gonna be his thing. See, the the Lord spoke to him through his circumstances. And if you listen to his testimony, here's what he would say. That was hard for me on the front end because there were just things that I wanted to do, and I knew that I was never gonna be able to do them, but they opened the door for where God really wanted me to be. And I'll take it. God speaks through your circumstances. I'll give you another example. It's a person that I know very well. 
um, someone that I love a lot. And they came to a point where they were at in their, their career and, and vocation and place of work. And they were being asked to do some things that were incredibly unethical. So they reached out to me and they're like, what do you think I need to do? And I was like, don't, <laughs> don't violate your ethics. And here was the point. He said, yeah, that's easy to say, but I have a wife to feed. I have a son with very special needs. It's incredibly expensive. That's fair, isn't it? That's fair. I didn't mind him saying something like that. And I said, I'm gonna believe that the Lord is gonna provide for you. Here was the kicker. You go to the next day. I get a call the next night. He says, well, this was interesting. Uh, he says, I, I left work and I went over just to, to grab lunch. And as I'm sitting there at lunch, this guy walks up to me at the table that I'm eating at because he was just reading uh, and, and eating lunch. He said, I'm sitting there and this, this guy walks up to me and he says, hey, and he names him. He says, am I right? Is that you? And he said, yeah, that's me. He goes, man, you may not remember. I'm from this other company over here. And about six years ago, we tried to hire you. And man, it was one of the biggest losses when you ended up going with this other company. We'd have given anything to have you here. And he goes, really? Do you have a position open? And he goes, yeah. Just like that. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to give you Ways that you see that the Lord work, he speaks to you through his word, he speaks to you through his people, he will speak to you, and he will speak to you through your circumstances. The only question is, are your ears up? Not as God talking, because he is. Here's the other thing to hold in mind. Keep all these things in balance, because sometimes you'll hear a voice, and it ain't God. Always check what is said and what you hear by the word, and that is why I said you start there. You also catch something interesting here in verse nine from Paul. He said, a great door for effective work is open for me. He said, but many oppose me. Something I just wanna say really fast. Difficulty doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. It might mean you're exactly where you ought to be. Paul wasn't budging. He said, but people are against me. Expect it. Parting shot number three. And you see it in verses 13 and 14. And this is where he hits the blitz. This is welcome to Lubies. He says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Um, I'm gonna say this, to fully embody the Christian faith right now, you're gonna have to be courageous. You are. You're going to have to be firm, meaning holding your ground. You're gonna have to be strong. But whatever it is you do in all of it, you do it in love for other people. He gave us this warning before. You know, I, I can speak of heavenly languages and do incredible things, but if I don't do it from love, it's noise. It's noise. So a final observation in verses 17 and 18. He says, I'm delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus present. Here's why. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. He says, give recognition to such people. Give recognition to such people. So here we are at the beginning of Thanksgiving week. I have an assignment for you. I want you to get your phone out. I want you to write down the names of some people and I want you to reach out to them because they have brought refreshing to your soul and you wouldn't be who you are without them. Paul just did this in a letter that we're reading. So I'm just gonna name a few that have meant a lot to me from here. There are more. Roy and Beth Mace, Brian and Geraldine Stewart, Spud, Mary, and Basham. John and Angela Weisenbaker. Bob and Jen Hillier. Kathy Gwynn. Scott and Angie Robichaux. I'm looking out here. I see 
uh, Rick and Rob, Robin McDonald. I, I could do this a long time. I could do this a long time because of how you have blessed me and you have refreshed me. And I just want you to know that. It's the way he ends and it's the way I want to end this letter. He wrote this letter to clear up the fog from a cultural mess and they were a mess. And he was telling the church in every part, come back to Jesus, come back to Jesus. I'm telling you this today. If you're not there, come back to Jesus. He gives this warning in verse 22. He says, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let them be accursed. That seems strong, right? But I want you to remember, the guy that said those words is also the same guy that when he wrote the letter to the church in Rome, when he wrote Romans, he said this in chapter nine, I wish that I could die and go to hell so that they wouldn't have to. There's his heart. Come back. That's his last thing. He says, come back. And so he ends as we too today. I say this in verses 23 and 24, that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And may love to all of you be in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What a great letter. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.